Good evening, and this week we are uh, we're, we're learning Parashas Ki Seitzei. Uh, we're getting towards the end. We're getting towards the end of the Torah. Um, Rosh Hashanah is right around the corner, and um, and right after Rosh Hashanah comes Simchas Torah with a few holidays in between. So we're getting up towards the end of the Torah, uh, the very end of Deuteronomy, and uh, this week we're learning Ki Seitzei. Uh, which has many, many mitzvahs. It's actually fascinating. There's so many mitzvahs in this uh, parasha. Uh, by next week already, it's going to be less. Uh, we're going to really only have maybe two or th- very, very few in the next parasha. And then after that, there's maybe three or four mitzvahs left. So this week, we're really packing it in. We're getting a lot of mitzvahs uh, to go. Um, this week, the, the talk that was chosen... You know, it's very interesting. Sometimes you take a theme in the parasha and you delve into the theme and learn its meaning and, you know, some some twist and some idea uh, that, that we can apply to our daily lives. Today we're actually going to do something very different. We're going to, like, use a theme in the parasha as a, uh, a stepping stone, a touchstone, to jump into an entirely different topic. We're going to delve into the life and times of a very fascinating Talmudic sage. Controversial, complex, but like everything in Torah, if we learn it right and we learn it well, we could learn a tremendous amount from it for us here and now. Alrighty, so what is the the part of the parish of the week that we're going to be using as a touchstone, you know, to kind of jump off, to take off into something else? It is the mitzvah. Um, I don't know how famous it is, but it's one of the th- 613 commandments, and that is that if you're walking on the road and you chance upon a nest with eggs or with little chicks, with little little baby birds, and you want to take the eggs for yourself or the efroichim, the, 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 the little birds, but the mother bird is hovering above them, is on top of them, etc., you are not allowed to take the mother together with the children. You have to send away the mother, and then you can take the children. Source number one, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 6. If you chance upon a bird's nest on the road, on any tree or on the ground, and it contains fledglings or eggs. If the mother is sitting upon the fledglings or upon the eggs, you shall not take the mother while she is on the young. You shall send away the mother, and then you may take the young for yourself. Okay, that's enough. We have a mitzvah, but the Torah continues. Do this so that it should be good for you, and you should lengthen your days. All right. So this mitzvah, what is the reason for the mitzvah? Uh, that those that offer the idea that there is, uh, you know, when, when a person uh, trains themselves not to uh, take the mother with the children and to have compassion on the mother or send away the mother, so uh, it, it kind of nurtures the idea of compassion uh, within us. Maimonides actually argues with that and says that, he brings, for example, it says like this, you know, in prayer, what are we trying to accomplish with prayer? We want God to have compassion on us, right? So one might think that one of the best ways to kind of corner God, or I don't want to use the word shame God, but one of the ways to convince God to have compassion on us is, uh, you know, I could say, hey, you who commanded us to have compassion on the mother bird and told us to send away the mother bird and not take the fledglings, not take the eggs, have compassion on us as well. Maimonides tells us, and this comes from the Talmud, that uh, you should not say that during prayer. It's inappropriate. This is an inappropriate thing to bring before God. Why? Because mitzvahs are not for compassion. 
The reason why God told us to send away the mother bird is not because God is compassionate. And Maimonides says because if God would have done it out of compassion, he would have told us we're not allowed to slaughter animals and eat them. So he comes to the conclusion, he says, that this mitzvah um, is also part of the general uh, concept of mitzvahs that are just decrees from God Almighty. Definitely we can find reasoning, logic, etc. But essentially these mitzvahs are just, that's what God wanted. God wants that we should not take the mother bird. We should send away the mother bird and take the eggs, for, and then only then take the eggs for ourselves. And what's interesting is that this is one of the mitzvahs. It's not the only one, but there aren't that many. This is one of the mitzvahs that right after the Torah tells us the mitzvah, the Torah tells us what the schar, the, 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 the reward for doing the mitzvah is. And that is, it will be good for you and you should lengthen your days. Fine. Beautiful mitzvah. It's not a mitzvah that's very common. It doesn't happen too often nowadays, but it does happen. There's no blessing for it, by the way. There's no blessing for uh, the mitzvah of sending away the mother bird. Now we're going to use this um, to, to dive into the life and times of Elisha ben Avuya. Um, he's not very famous because actually he, he ended up becoming a traitor to his people. Uh, became extremely controversial. And most of, his, uh, most of his teachings are, essentially his name was kind of erased from history. He started to be called Acher, the other guy. Uh, the guy who, um, so who is this Elisha ben Avoya? He lived in the first generation after the destruction of the second holy temple. He was a student of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who was the leader of the Jewish people during that transition period. You know, he was, he was there, uh, he, he guided the people in that transition between temple time and post-destruction of the temple, which, you know, is, is a story for itself. Uh, later on, he was a student of Rabbi Akiva, the famous Rabbi Akiva. So this was the time period when the Romans were ruling the land of Israel. Uh, the Jews were in a pretty bad state, um, but they were holding on. They were holding on. They were still learning Torah. They were teaching Torah to the children, etc. And Elisha ben Avuya was one of the top, top guys. He was he was a real... Uh, powerful and tremendous Torah scholar, um, really the cream of the crop, uh, to the point that uh, in source number two, we have a story from the Talmud in Chagiga, which tells us that Rabbi Akiva once, together with three other sages, took a walk in what's called Pardis. Pardis literally means an orchard, but here what we're talking about is they took a walk in the spiritual uh, realms of the Torah. Uh, they, they essentially their souls went up to a higher level and they started to uh, probe and to explore <coughs> previously unknown levels of the Torah, secrets of the Torah. And as a result, uh, they became exposed uh, or they came in contact with uh, tremendous divine energy that most of us would have a very hard time handling. You need to have a special filter in order to deal with that. So let's see the story. Source number two, the sages taught, four entered the pardis, the orchard, meaning they delved into the deepest secrets of the Torah. Ben Azai, Ben Zoimo, Acher, and Rabbi Akiva. So Rabbi Akiva is the most famous one of these four. Ben Azai and Ben Zoimo were also tremendous, tremendous Torah scholars. Uh, ben Azai, for example, it's, it's said about him that he never married, or he married and he divorced immediately afterwards. And his reason for it was, he said, even though it's a mitzvah to get married and have children, however, I love the, the study of Torah so much that I cannot be distracted with marriage. 
and uh, humanity can continue with other people. And Ben Azai had the right not to be married or at least to divorce immediately after marriage in order that he should be able to uh, commit himself to Torah, to, to Torah study literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's Ben Azai. Acher, Acher means the other guy. So Acher really is a, is a, is a code word. It's a euphemism for Elisha ben Avuya. Now, these four, they took a walk. They, they, uh, they entered the Pardus. They started to probe the deepest secrets of the Torah. Ben Azai glanced at the Shekhinah and died. This experience of probing the deep secrets of the Torah caused Ben Azai to die. The verse, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his pious ones, applies to him. Fine. <coughs> ben Zayma glanced at the Shekhinah and was harmed, meaning he lost his mind. He went cuckoo. Yeah, he was put in an asylum or something, whatever. The verse, have you found honey? Eat as much as is sufficient for you, lest you become full from it and vomit it out, applies to him. Point is, it didn't end up pretty well for him. Acher, as a result of taking a, a, a walk in the paradise, as a result of this experience, chopped down the shoots of the saplings, meaning he became a heretic. And Rabbi Akiva left in peace. Rabbi Akiva was only one of the four that was able to enter paradise peacefully and walk out peacefully and he was not harmed by the experience okay so here's one version of the events or one of the events that caused Acher to lose his faith to become a heretic there's another story source number three this comes from the Jerusalem Talmud in Chagiga so the Jerusalem Talmud is like parallel to the Babylonian Talmud um, so on the same tractate it says like this Elisha ben Avuya was once studying Torah in the Ginosar Valley. He watched a person climb up a palm tree and take a nest in front of the mother bird. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's a no-no, right? He didn't send away the mother bird. He took the nest. The mother bird was still there. The man descended unharmed. No problem. All right, let's see what happened next. The next day, he watched another person climb atop the palm tree, chase away the mother bird. As he descended, he was fatally bitten by a snake. <laughs> What's going on? The Torah says that if you send away the mother bird and then take the eggs, you will have long days, you'll have long life. And here, Elisha ben Avuya saw in front of him in the real world, the exact opposite happened. Yesterday, the fellow that went up there violated this mitzvah. He came down with the, with the eggs and he did not send away the mother bird. And he walked away without a scratch. Lightning didn't hit. And here this guy that sent away the mother bird and came down with the eggs, he did the mitzvah. As he came down, a snake bit him and he died. Ah. What a test of faith, huh? He said, it is written, send away the mother and then you may take the young for yourself in order that it should be good for you and you shall lengthen your days. What good did this person gain? How were his days lengthened? This caused a crisis of faith by our hero, or our villain, whatever you want to call him, by Elisha ben Avuya. And as a result, he, he left Judaism, literally. Now, what does it mean he left Judaism? It's not just that he said, eh, I don't need this, and he went off to some island and lived the rest of his days just living like a goy. No, that's not what he did. He stayed in Israel, and he caused a lot of tsaris, caused a lot of trouble for the Jews in Israel. 
he would go to the Romans and he would help them go and disrupt the, the, the Torah study, he would disrupt the schools. Um, there, there was, there's a story that they once came to a place and they forced the Jews of the area to violate the Shabbos by carrying things in a public domain. So the Jews, who you know, they, they knew all the different uh, loopholes of the laws of Shabbos, they were doing what the Romans wanted with, you know, in, in a way that they shouldn't really be violating the Shabbos. But Acher was the teacher of all of them, right? He was, he was, he was the one that taught them the loophole. So Acher pointed it out to the Romans and he said they are not really violating the Shabbos, and the Romans stopped them. Basically, Acher became a very bad guy. Very, very. Bad. It's not just that he himself sinned; he caused others to sin. And it all came, according to the Babylonian Talmud, that happened because of you know going into the Pardis. According to the Jerusalem Talmud, it came because of this crisis of faith when he saw that this mitzvah, which the Torah said, it's a very simple mitzvah, but the Torah gives a tremendous blessing associated with this mitzvah, and he saw it play out in front of his eyes in a totally different way. Uh, the Talmud continues, it says, that Elisha ben Avia's grandson, I believe his name was Rabbi Yaakov, he said like this, he said, my grandfather misinterpreted the verse. So what does the verse say? The verse says, you will have long days. How do you measure long days? What's long? In the summer days. Summer days. <laughs> What does it mean long days? Your whole life is going to be summer days. Long days. How long is long? 50 years, 70 years, 80 years, 120 years. 120 is not long. Adam lived to be 930. Right? In other words, when the Torah says you will have long days, it obviously cannot mean long days in this physical world. The meaning of this is that if you're going to keep this mitzvah, which has no benefit to other people in this world, you're doing this mitzvah only because God told you to do it. You are going to merit to Olam Haba, the world to come, which is eternal. That is the true long days. There's no limit to that. That is the ultimately long life. So just because Elisha uh, ben Avuya saw a guy come down from the tree after doing this mitzvah, being bitten by a snake and dying, that's not a contradiction to what the Torah said. The Torah never said that a person is going to live in this world for, for many, many long days. But anyway, so that's, that's a separate issue. We'll put this aside. Let's take a deep dive into Elisha ben Avuya and actually what his legacy means to us today. Um, source 4. So now you'll think that once Elisha ben Avuya became Acher, once he had the crisis of faith and he became a heretic, not only that... He became a sinner and caused others to sin, uh, and he was and he was in co- uh, you know he was, he was helping he was allied with the enemies of the Jews with the Romans. Uh, you'd think that he lost everything and that no one you know paid him any attention, but that's not true. Before he had strayed from the right p- proper path, he had a student whose name was Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir, uh, in his in his time and even I mean for you know his, his eternal legacy is that he was one of the, the greatest Talmudic sages to the point that many of his own colleagues were unable to fully understand and comprehend the depth of his teachings. That's Rabbi Meir. Who is Rabbi Meir's main teacher? Elisha ben Avuyo. He gives you a kind of an understanding of the, of the caliber of his scholarship. Even after he became Acher, Rabbi Meir would still learn Torah from Elisha ben Avuya from Acher. He still learned Torah from him, which we'll, we'll talk about that soon, if that's a, if it's appropriate or not. But uh, let's see, source number four, the, the Talmud continues. After Acher had strayed, he asked Rabbi Meir, what is the meaning of the verse, I believe in, in Job, the verse goes like this, neither gold nor glass can equal it, nor is a pure golden vessel its exchange. What is this referring to? 
Rabbi Meir answered, this is Torah, which is as difficult to acquire as gold and as easy to lose as glass. Torah doesn't come easy. You have to work hard. You know what it says in the Talmud. Yagaita If you're going to work very hard to learn Torah and then you're going to succeed, we believe you. But if you're going to say, oh, I didn't have to work hard. It just came eh, automatic. No, no, no. That's not real Torah. That's not real Torah acquisition. Anyway, Rabbi Meir explained the verse in Job that this, when it speaks about that it's hard to get like glass and it's easy to lose like, I'm sorry, hard to get like gold and easy to lose like glass. That's talking about Torah. It's hard to acquire. And if you don't keep your eye on the ball, you don't constantly review your studies, you're going to lose it. Acher responded, Your teacher Rabbi Akiva said otherwise. He taught that gold and glass can be fixed if shattered. And so too can a rogue Torah sage be rehabilitated. <laughs> All right, so Rabbi Meir was saying this talking about Torah itself, the acquisition of Torah or retaining Torah. Acher says, No, Rabbi Akiva said this is talking about the Torah scholar. The Torah scholar, just like gold and glass could be fixed, a Torah scholar could also be fixed if you need some fixing. Why didn't Rabbi Meir fix him? Why didn't Acher fix himself? Separate question. All right, let's continue. There's, there's, there's more to the story with Acher. Source 5. Acher was once riding a horse on Shabbos, and Rabbi Meir was following him. Not on a horse, obviously. He was walking behind him. Why was he following him? Desiring to learn Torah from him. Whenever Acher and Rabbi Meir would have a conversation, it was a Torah conversation. And Rabbi Meir felt that every time that he speaks to Acher, who was his former teacher, he's going to gain tremendously in the Torah study. So his teacher is violating the Shabbos blatantly in front of everyone. He's riding a horse. And he's learning from him. Listen to this. Acher told him, Meir, turn around. For I have measured, and here is the limit of how far you can walk on Shabbos. <laughs> There's something called Tchum Shabbos. There's a limit of where a person, outside of the city, the city there's the city limits, and then a person is allowed to walk 2,000 cubits outside of the city limits, and at that point, the person cannot walk any further. Rabbi Meir was riding on the horse, talking to, I'm sorry, Acher was riding on the horse, speaking to Rabbi Meir, and as he's walking, as he's talking about some deep Talmudic ideas, he's measuring in his head how far they're going outside of the city limits. And when they came to the limit, he tells, he tells Rabbi Meir, you have to stop. You keep Shabbos, you have to stop. So here we're going to go into how the Rebbe analyzes Acher himself and specifically the story. Page 5. Prior to Elisha straying from the path and becoming Acher, he was a person of very high spiritual stature, as is evident from the fact that he was one of the people that entered the Pardis. Even after he strayed and became Acher, the Talmud relates that he taught Rabbi Meir Torah. When he explained the verse from Job to him, according to the explanation of Rabbi Akiva, the Talmud also relates a story about Rabbi Meir and Acher's Torah discussion while Acher was riding a horse on Shabbos. Two details stand out in this story. Number one, even though Acher was riding a horse on Shabbos, Rabbi Meir was following in order to learn Torah from him. That's number one. That's a pretty wild thing. You're talking about a guy who's such a scholar that even after he becomes not only a heretic, but he's blatantly violating the Shabbos in public, Rabbi Meir still feels the need, the value, in hearing what he has to say. 
this is an important concept. As, as we're going to get to the punchline, this is really going to come into play. And moreover, number two, Acher cautioned Rabbi Meir about going beyond the permitted distance on Shabbos, even though this prohibition is only of rabbinic origin. It's not a biblical prohibition, it's a rabbinic prohibition. This shows us the high standing of Elisha ben Avuya, that even after straying from the path, he taught Torah to Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir was a scholar who illuminated his colleagues' eyes in matters of halacha, and he was so learned that his colleagues weren't able to fully comprehend him. Pretty wild stuff. How did Elisha ben Avuya become Elisha ben Avuya? How did he become such a tremendous sage? What was the secret? <coughs> Page 6, the Rebbe continues, We can understand the reason for this based on the teaching of Elisha ben Avuya himself. One of the only places in the Talmud where Elisha ben Avuya is quoted, a teaching of his is quoted in his name, is in Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers, in chapter 4. Elisha ben Avuya said, One who learns Torah in their youth is comparable to ink written on a new paper. The Bartonur explains, new paper, it lasts, just like youthful Torah study is not forgotten. He continues, it says, one who learns Torah in their old age is comparable to ink inscribed on warm paper. So Elisha ben is saying is like this, be sure to learn Torah when you're young. Because the Torah that you learn when you're young, that's going to stay with you forever. That, that's the power of youth. That's the value of learning Torah when you're young. So the Rebbe continues, and Elisha ben was not just saying some theoretical idea. He was actually talking about himself. Elisha ben Avuya studied much Torah in his youth. The Talmud relates that his father said, since Torah is so great, I will devote this child to Torah study. We'll see soon. We'll, we'll get to the whole story. But let's hold that for a moment. As a result, the Torah he studied in his youth remained with him eternally because it was ink on new paper that lasts. So what's, what's the story of Elisha ben Avuya learning Torah in his youth. So it's not recorded in the Talmud. It's recorded by Toisvis. Toisvis is one of the great commentators on the Talmud. And they obviously got it from somewhere. They had it. They had this tradition. Or there is a book of Medrash or of Talmud that we don't have today. But they are the one, you know, as we know it from them. So like this, the, the Toisvis and the commentary on Chagiga, the tract of Chagiga deals a lot with this, uh, this, this fellow this personality, Elisha ben Avuya. So Avuya, Elisha's father, was one of the great sages of Jerusalem. On the day of Elisha's bris, he called all the dignitaries of Jerusalem to gather in one house, and he gathered the Tanoic sages, Rabbi Eliezer, Nabi Yeshua, in another house. After the distinguished guests ate and drank, they began to dance merrily. The Tanoic sages, sitting in the other house, said, while they do their things, we'll do ours. So what do Rabbi Lezer and Rabbi Yeshua do when they have a moment to speak with each other? They sat and studied Torah. And while they were studying Torah, a fire descended from heaven and surrounded them. Avuya turned to them and said, Men, why have you come to burn my house down? God forbid, they responded. We were studying Torah, and it was as joyous as when it was given at Sinai. That was our experience. When we were learning Torah just now, we were so happy, we were on such a high level, that we were re-experiencing Sinai and what happened during the Sinai revelation. And wasn't that with fire? So just like at Sinai, 
there was fire. Now, when we're learning Torah and we're on the level of Sinai, a heavenly fire came to surround us. If this is the power of Torah, Avuya said, if this boy lives, I will dedicate his life to Torah. So we see from here, that right away from a very young age, Avuya already put Elisha into a a rigorous regimen of Torah study, and that's what he did. I guess he didn't play games, right? He was learning Torah all the time. And Elisha Avuya said, that is the best Torah to learn. You want to learn from someone that learned in their youth, because that is the Torah that sticks, that remains, and that's always remembered remembered so this is a tremendous lesson for us to appreciate the importance of education the education of children this underlines the Rebbe continues on the bottom of page 7 this underlines the importance of investing in teaching children Torah it is a biblical mitzvah for a father to teach his child Torah and the Tzemach Tzedek rules that the child is also obligated to study on his own as soon as he is able to do so we must invest great effort in this In this regard due to the great importance of studying while young, which guarantees that it will last like ink on new paper. In other words, I think they translated this a little bit wrong. The point is, even though there is, besides for the fact that there is a biblical obligation on the father to teach the child, besides for the fact that the child also has an obligation to learn Torah once they become mature enough and aware enough to realize that they have to learn Torah, that they're capable of learning Torah on their own. Besides for that, the reason why we must make sure that children learn Torah is because this is the best time to learn Torah. The more Torah they learn as children, you are putting ink on new paper. You're causing that Torah to remain. This was the secret to Elisha ben Avuya's scholarship. Why was he such a tremendous scholar? Because he learned so much Torah while he was a child, while he was very young. Now, uh, and the Rebbe continues, this is how Hasidic education is done in practice. Even before a child is old enough to distinguish between good and bad, they are taught to have boundless Hasidic enthusiasm about holy matters. We get the kids involved. The kids are excited. They're passionate. And you should never underestimate the value of that childish passion. Because if when they're children, they are impressed, or the the impression on their impressionable minds is that Hasidic education, that's going to stay. The child is taught to take everything they learn to heart and to implement it in practice. Okay. Now, now we're going to deal with uh, a separate question, which, which we'll, we'll circle back with. But the question is like this. Was it proper, was it appropriate for Rabbi Meir to learn Torah from Acher? In general, the rule is that you have to choose your teachers wisely. You have to, you have to choose to learn Torah from a teacher that demonstrates a dedication and a respect and a reverence to Torah. Acher was everything but that. <laughs> I mean, I spent, when he became a heretic, and he, he was against, he was anti. He was destroying Torah. He, was, uh, he had an alliance with the Romans. He was causing a lot of trouble. Not only was he blatantly violating the Shabbos in public, but he was forcing Jews to violate the Shabbos. Right? So how could Rabbi Meir study Torah from Elisha ben Avuya? So he'll tell me, well, Elisha ben Avuya had such a tremendous value in his Torah study because he had learned so much of it when he was a child. So what? <laughs> but <laughs> he's Acher. He's a heretic. 
So the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot concludes with a teaching of Rabbi Meir, Acher student. Rabbi Meir said, don't look at the vessel, but, or rather, at what it contains. There are new vessels that are filled with old wine. As we're talking about wine, new wine is obviously of lesser quality. So you're going to see a brand new vessel, you think, what's inside of it? New wine. No, sometimes you can have a new vessel that has old and aged wine. And then you can have old vessels that do not even contain new wine. This explains how Rabbi Meir was able to learn from Acher. He didn't look at the vessel, but at what it contained. The vessel of Rabbi of, of Acher was that of a heretic. That's how he looked on the outside. That's what a vessel is. A vessel is seen by the by the observer. Right? You can't see what's on the inside. Rabbi Meir was able to see beneath the facade. He was able to see inside the vessel, even though Acher is a, a vessel of a heretic, but what's contained inside of this vessel? Tremendous Torah, the Torah that was learned by a youngster, which is the best type of Torah, the highest quality. He learned from the Torah Acher contained from his youth, Torah that stayed with him forever because it was like ink on new paper. However, Rabbi Meir's approach of learning Torah, even from Acher, is certainly not suitable for everyone. The Talmud teaches, the verse states, for the priest's lips should keep knowledge, they should, should speak, yeah, should keep knowledge, and they should seek Torah from his mouth, for he is a messenger, a malach of God. So verse of Malachi. This verse teaches us that if the teacher is similar to an angel, an angel of God, you should seek Torah from his mouth. But if the teacher is not pure like an angel, do not seek Torah from his mouth. You have to make sure that when you learn Torah from someone, from a teacher, you have to be able to respect and revere that person based on their actions. That's the only thing that you could that you could measure. That's the only thing that you could observe. That's the only thing that you could judge. Obviously, you don't know what's going on inside of their heart of hearts. But if to you the impression is that this teacher is similar to that of an angel, someone that's wonderful and pure and, and, and means... It means well, etc. There's integrity. So then you can learn from such a teacher. <laughs> Acher was not a malach. did not look like a malach. So how could Rabbi Meir learn from him? Rabbi Meir was special. As the Talmud explains, Rabbi Meir found a pomegranate. He found it in your backyard, Ed. Rabbi Meir found, yeah, okay. He found a pomegranate. How do you eat a pomegranate? You have to go into the kishkas, you have to go inside and get the seeds, the sweet and geshmake, wonderful seeds. And what do you do with the rest? What do you do with the shell? You throw it out. That's what happened with Rabbi Meir and Acher. Rabbi Meir found the pomegranate. He ate the fruit and discarded the peel. He knew how to differentiate between the, the, the heresy of Rabbi Meir, of, of Elisha ben Avuya, and the Torah of Rabbi Elisha ben Avuya when he was Acher. No one else was able to do that. That's why it's a story. That's why they say, Rabbi Meir followed him while he was riding a horse, and he learned from him, etc. Only Rabbi Meir was able to do that. No one else was able to do that. This is the same concept as Rabbi Meir's teaching quoted earlier, don't look at the vessel, but at what it contains. Right? Alrighty. So, so we have, so far... So far, we learned a few things about Elisha ben Avuya. We know that when he was a young child, when he was by his bris, 
his father was so impressed with the power of Torah that he decided his child is going to learn Torah. He's going to give his child over to the study of Torah. We know that Elisha ben Avuya learned a tremendous amount of Torah when he was a child, and apparently this was unique even among the Talmudic scholars. And this is why he was head and shoulders above many of them. Okay. We also know that during his lifetime he had a crisis of faith. And as a result of that crisis of faith, or as a result of going into the paradise and not being uh, properly suited for it, he became a heretic. But that wasn't the end of the story. He didn't go off into the sunset. He remained very much engaged in the Jewish community. And there was one great Talmudic sage that continued to engage with him and to learn Torah from him, and that was Rabbi Meir. Why? Because Rabbi Meir wanted to access that unique Torah that Elisha ben Avuya had by virtue of the fact that he studied it as a child. So here we see that studying Torah as a child is so powerful, so impactful, that even if everything goes south, even if everything goes haywire, even if the person becomes a heretic, they, they still have that tremendous virtue, which can only be accessed by, by specific individuals, not by anyone else. They're still going to be called a heretic, they're still going to be a traitor to their people, but you're going to have some unique, special people that are going to try to access that Torah that's still contained in this dirty vessel. And now we continue with Elisha ben Avuya's death. By the way, there's something that they don't bring in this class. There was a continuation to that story. When, when Acher was riding the horse and Rabbi Meir was going behind him, and uh, so, so Acher told him, hey, stop, you can't, you can't continue walking. It's too far. So he's told, he told him, Chazerbach. In other words, go back, return, return to the city. So Rabbi Meir looked at him and he said, Rabbi, Chazerbach, you should also return. He meant, do Teshuvah. So Acher said, I can't. Why? He said, because I heard a heavenly voice. It's unclear to me exactly where and how he heard the voice, but I heard a heavenly voice that made the following announcement. Shuvu banim shevavim, wayward sons return to teshuva. Chutz me acher, besides for acher, acher can't do teshuva. That's what the heavenly voice said. So acher basically said, "Look, I, I know that I'm uh, I'm too far gone, and that's it. I'm I'm lost." That's what that's what acher said. The Talmud says that he was actually wrong. What does it mean? The Talmud uh, accepts his version of the events that he heard a heavenly voice saying that all Jews should do tshuva besides for Acher. However, Judaism believes there's no such a thing as too late. There's no such a thing as a person can't do tshuva. They might not be helped to do tshuva. You know, it's interesting. When, when does a person do tshuva? If they're honest with themselves, they'll realize that at a certain point, they start to have certain feelings that came from nowhere. They can't, they, they can't even identify why all of a sudden they started to think in this direction, why they started to regret their ways, etc. The truth of the matter is that almost all the time, it's that God decided, okay, it's time to bring the guy back. So he starts to kind of play with his brain and with his mind, that they give him these, these ideas. And that's what motivates a person to do teshuva. What the heavenly voice was saying was that because Acher, because Elisha ben Avuya had sinned so terribly and so blatantly, and, and the problem was, it's not like he was an ignoramus that sinned. He was knowledgeable. 
He was a tremendous scholar and he went in sin. So because of that, God is not going to help him. Heaven won't help him. But if he wants to do tshuva on his own, of course he can do tshuva. Anyway, the end of the story is, he died without doing tshuva. Fine. So he dies a sinner. He goes to he goes to the you know the eternal court. So let's see what happened. The, the Talmud again talks about the source eight. When Acher died, the heavenly court proclaimed that he would not be punished in purgatory, and he would not enter paradise. Usually, when you go upstairs, you have two options: purgatory or paradise. They said no purgatory and no paradise. Why? He won't be punished because he studied Torah. And that merit protected him. Torah is a tremendous shield, tremendous protection. So because of the Torah that Elisha ben Avuya studied, he's not going to go into purgatory. He won't be punished. But he also won't enter paradise because he sinned. So he'll say, great, he got the best of both worlds. No, actually it's the worst. Purgatory is not an end to itself. Purgatory is not the end of the road. Purgatory is only a preparation to go into paradise. Anyone and everyone that goes into purgatory ends up in paradise afterwards. Rabbi Meir is not, he can't go into paradise because he sinned, but he's also not going to go to purgatory to cleanse him of the sins in order that he should be able to go into paradise. Right? So he's in limbo, which is actually much more painful. Rabbi Meir, his student, was aware of what was going on in heaven. Rabbi Meir said, Better he be punished in purgatory and then be able to go to the next world. When I pass away, I will request this in heaven. Tremere is basically saying that when I go upstairs, I have an order of business to take care of. And that is to send my, my teacher to hell. That, I mean, in simple words. That's what he's going to do. For his benefit, he's going to send him off to purgatory. And he continued and he told the students, when you see smoke rising from Acher's grave, you will know that he has entered purgatory. Okay. When Rabbi Meir passed, smoke rose from Acher's grave, showing that Rabbi Meir's request was granted. Yeah, everyone lived happily ever after? No. Rabbi Yochanan, who was a great Talmudic sage as well, he said, is this greatness to burn your teacher? Is this the only solution? He was one of us, a Torah scholar, and we cannot save him. If we grab his hand, who will drag him away from us? He continued, when I pass away, the smoke will cease to rise from his grave to let you know that he was released from purgatory and brought to paradise. Indeed, when Rabbi Yechelon passed, the smoke rising from Acher's grave ceased. So all of, all of the scholars that were here down on earth were able to see this whole drama playing out. Rabbi Meir passed away, smoke came out of his gra- out of Acher's grave. Rabbi Yechna passed away, smoke stopped, which means Rabbi Yechna basically went to purgatory and pulled Meir out, pulled Acher out. One of Rabbi Yechna's eulogizers said in his eulogy, "Even the guards of the heavenly gates can't stand before you, our teacher, for the gatekeeper of purgatory couldn't stop Rabbi Yechna from taking Acher out of purgatory." Okay. So we know a tremendous amount of Elisha ben Avoya's life. We know about his early life, before his bris. And we also know about his afterlife. And how the sages, his students, his, his ex-students, they did everything in their power to rectify Acher's soul. To ensure that Acher should not remain in limbo. 
either that he should go into purgatory or that he should get out of purgatory. The point is that they did everything to, 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 to make things right for Acher, even though he died a sinner. Why? Why did he merit all of this? The Rebbe points out because he studied Torah as a kid. Elisha ben Avuya studied Torah during his youth, ink on new paper, so it stayed with him forever. Eventually, this also brought about his rectification. The Talmud relates that the rectification of Acher was completed by Rabbi Yechanan. They said about Rabbi Yechanan that even the gatekeeper of purgatory couldn't stop him when he came to remove Acher from there. It is clear that Acher's rectification was in the merit of the Torah that he studied, and especially because he studied when he was young, ink on new paper. So what, what's the purpose of this whole of this whole profile, this profile of Elisha ben Avuya? <coughs> you can see clearly from the, from the stories that the Talmud chooses to tell us about his life, which essentially the Talmud wants us that, we, that this should be his legacy. This should be, we should see, number one, that you had here a tremendous sage who was challenged in a very powerful way and who, who did not, uh, I say, didn't overcome his challenges. He, he, um, he made wrong choices, definitely did. Made very, very bad choices. However, despite the fact that he maliciously sinned, and despite the fact that he, he became a heretic, and he became a traitor to his people, despite all of this, because, because he had studied Torah as a child, and that Torah is so valuable, that Torah continued to remain relevant during his lifetime. It had an impact on the students that were able to learn from him. And after his lifetime, in the afterlife, that Torah also helped him out. So what does this teach us? First and foremost, the tremendous value of ensuring that children learn Torah when they are children. This is when they are most impressionable. If you make sure that children learn Torah when they're young, no matter what's going to happen later on in life, this Torah will remain with them. And who knows, maybe it's going to impress upon them to start making good, better choices, etc. But one cannot fathom the tremendous value of Torah study in youth. The, the way the, the, way the, the, the Perkei vote describes it is that it's, new, it's ink on new paper. Right? So how, how can we apply this across the board? How does it become relevant to, to all of us? Yeah, most of us that are gathered here together, we're not, we're not in our youth. So what's the deal? So I think a very practical application is that every day when we wake up in the morning, we have a new slate. It's a new day. And we have to make sure that the very first moments, minutes, the hour, whatever it is of the morning when we are a clean slate, when we are a new paper, let's make sure that though that first hour or whatever it is, is impressed, is filled with Torah, with prayer, with doing, with, with focusing on our Jewishness. And that will have a major impact on the rest of the day. Even though the rest of the day goes to Narishkaitan, and for, and for good reasons, whatever it is. But because that very first hour, the very first, the opening of the day, when the, when the day is fresh, when our minds are fresh, when our hearts are fresh, when the paper is new paper, we ensure that that is filled with Torah, then the rest of the day is going to be extremely valuable. And that, 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 that morning routine 
which is filled with Torah and, and prayer and mitzvahs, is going to have a tremendous effect on the rest of the day as well. Um, and uh, most importantly, we should we should really focus on ensuring that children have the opportunity in their youth to learn Torah, because this is the prime time for Torah study and Torah education. So thank you all for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Cool. Thank you, Rob.